following message is by Dr. Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Morning, everyone. Um, it's great to see everyone here this Sunday morning. As we continue the worship in the Word, we are looking in the Gospel of Luke, this ongoing series that we've been doing in this book. And the text for this morning comes from Luke chapter 17, verses 7 to 10. And the title for the message this morning is Serving with the Right Heart. So if you have your Bibles with you, we'd invite you to turn there. Otherwise, you could also follow the text up here on the screen. And it reads, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Let's pray. Lord, open our eyes to understand the wisdom of Jesus' teaching in these words that he spoke to his disciples, to help us to understand the heart with which you have commanded us to serve you. Give us the humility to understand our role before you as not only our Savior, but also our master. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I'm going to guess that this work of art is probably recognizable to almost every one of you here in this room. It's called the Pieta. It's a sculpture that was done by the great Renaissance artist Michelangelo uh, when he was only 23 years old. It depicts Mary, the mother of Jesus, holding the body of Jesus after his crucifixion. And it was not long after it was revealed to the public that it created quite a stir among the people of Italy because they immediately recognized the extraordinary skill and artistry with which this sculpture was done. And the story goes that Michelangelo happened to be in the room where the sculpture was displayed when a bunch of visitors from Milan were admiring it. And no one seemed to quite know who had sculpted it. And wrongly, one of them actually attributed this work to one of their own artists in Milan. Michelangelo in that moment didn't say anything to that crowd, but... He was infuriated and indignant. And so, as the story goes, that night, he snuck back into that room where the sculpture was. And by candlelight, he took a hammer and chisel and he carved a sash on Mary, the mother of Jesus. And on the sash, it says in Latin, Michelangelo Buonarroti Florentine made this. Okay? Um, it was said that later, Michelangelo 
felt so much guilt over this crass display of pride that he would never sign another one of his artworks again for the rest of his career. Um, So, you know, this awesome sculpture is marred by this ridiculous sash that has his name running across it. It's easy to laugh at Michelangelo's attention-seeking antics, isn't it? But the truth is, there's a little bit of that Michelangelo inside all of us, isn't there? This, this hunger for recognition, this need to be given our due when we feel that we've done something well. Reminds me of when I was in seminary, and we, I was taking this apologetics class, and we were doing this group project, and um, our group got assigned evolution versus creationism, and we had to defend it. And it became very clear that none of the other guys in my group came from a science background. And the stuff that they were saying in our planning meetings was, like, all wrong. You know, it was like, it was like did you ever take freshman bio? Or, do you understand evolution? And so as a medical doctor, before I went to seminary, I realized that I had probably um, the best knowledge of evolution at that moment. And so I ended up basically having to practically do the entire project. And then just assigning parts and say, I, I literally wrote transcripts that you say this and you say that and assigned everyone their part. And then we got an A. <laughs> you see that? We got an A on that project. And so, you know, the prof was giving us all compliments going, that was a, a really great presentation, you guys. You guys all did an excellent job. And everyone was beaming on the team and smiling And I was thinking one of them would say something, right? (laughs) But no one did. And so we got the credit for that project when the truth is I should have been given the credit for that project. You see, there's a monster inside every one of us that craves recognition, that craves attention for the things that we do. And in our passage today, Jesus is addressing one of the most important issues for the life of the disciple, which is the attitude with which you serve him, okay? What is your heart when you're serving God is what he's going to get at. And what we find in Scripture is that serving God becomes one of the most important pillars of spiritual growth in the Christian's life. It's primarily through serving God that you begin to discover so many truths about the Christian life, about what it means to be a disciple. It's absolutely critical to your spiritual growth. That's why even as pastors, we're always getting church, trying to get church members to get involved in some way instead of just showing up every Sunday. Because without some act of service, without some experience of obedience to the commands of Christ, The truth is we just don't grow spiritually. And yet, as I think the story that Jesus is telling his disciples that we're looking at this morning, that act of service, on the other hand, can become the very thing that undoes you as a Christian if you don't do it with the right heart, with the right attitude. That act of service can actually undermine your walk with God. 
In other words, what the Bible is saying is just doing the work for God is not enough. It's only actually a small fraction of the story. The attitude with which you engage in that work is arguably even more important to your spiritual journey. Just meeting deadlines, just getting the job done, just going through the motions is never enough in God's eyes. What Jesus is saying is, what's going on underneath your heart as you're doing this work? Because that makes all the difference. The particular attitude that Jesus is addressing in this story today seems to be the recognition that we so often crave after doing something. I think this becomes one of the most stubborn habits of our old life that he is asking us to surrender to him. This hunger for recognition, for someone to pay attention and acknowledge us and tell us what a good job we're done. And I want to outline three reasons why this hunger for recognition can sink us spiritually when we're doing God's work. The first and probably the most important is that it undermines the very foundation of the gospel, which is grace. The problem with this attitude is that it is so absolutely destructive to the process of growing in the gospel, of growing in grace. Now, I want to frame it like this. When we wrestle with this idea of growing in grace, we often frame it in the perspective of when I fail, when I sin, when I do something wrong, I have to learn how to receive God's unmerited favor or mercy or grace toward my life. That's a battle of grace, isn't it? Learning how to receive God's kindness toward me, his love toward me, when I feel I don't deserve it. And that's a very valid part of struggling with this issue of grace. But there is an equal and opposite battle in learning to receive God's grace when we actually feel like we've done something good. And learning how not to leverage that against God as though somehow by doing those things, God becomes our debtor. As though he somehow owes us now for those good things we've done. In other words, living in grace means that by faith we receive his favor when we failed and disappointed him. But living in grace also means that when we've done something good, We don't treat God like our debtor. Like, now you owe me something. You know, especially when we've done something sacrificial, felt like we've done something worthy, the truth is often we feel we ought to receive some kind of reward as a result of it, don't we? That mentality is so pervasive in the human heart that it becomes incredibly difficult to root it out. I remember when I was counseling a couple that was in leadership in a previous ministry. And that couple was struggling with infertility for years. And as I was counseling them, eventually, in a moment of honesty, the wife, with anger in her voice, uh, shared something very vulnerable when she said, that she was filled with such anger and resentment that so many other couples in the church were having no problem conceiving who were not doing nearly half the things that their family was doing for God. 
And she became angry at God and said, this is not fair. These people are living half-hearted Christian lives. And they're getting pregnant left and right. While we're trying to do our best to serve God. And we've remained infertile to this day. And I think the honesty of that lady captures well what a lot of us feel inside. Is God, you owe me this. You owe me one. Because look at what I am doing for you. God, you are my debtor. But you see, once you start thinking like this, you become an enemy of grace. Become an enemy of God. This is the heart of the older brother in the son of the prodigal son, isn't it? Luke 15, verse 28 to 29. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. You see, this older brother was filled with anger because he had a sense of entitlement. God, you owe me and you've never paid me back for everything I've done for you. And so filled with that kind of anger, he is angered by grace. Angered at God that he would show mercy to someone less deserving than him. Larry Osborne puts it like this. A servant who obeys has done nothing special. He has simply done his job. Obedience is far better than disobedience. But when I turn my obedience into a source of spiritual pride, it's as ridiculous as one of my sons demanding ice cream and a new bicycle because he didn't cheat on his test get into a fight at school, or steal any money. When I obey, God doesn't chest bump with the angels. When my obedience outpaces the obedience of others, I haven't done something worthy of a peacock strut. So why is it that so many of us find pride in superior obedience? You see, once you start registering that as credit in your account, it begins to undermine the very fabric of your relationship with God which is centered on grace. The second problem when we're always seeking recognition for the work we do for the Lord is that it ends up stealing God's glory. It puts us in a great risk of stealing his glory. One of the things that I think we can infer from this story that Jesus tells is that the problem with these servants is that they don't realize it's not about them. It's about the master, right? The work that they're doing is not for the recognition of the servants. It's for the good pleasure and the will of the master. That's what that service is all about. It's what Jesus is saying. is It's not about you. It's about me. You serve me, not the other way around. And I think the problem is when we're always craving recognition, then we take the focus away from God and we make it about ourselves. I wanted you to just take a look at this video. I'm sure, actually, probably, maybe the majority of you have seen it because it kind of went viral a few years ago. 
but I, I think it's going to show my point in a little bit of a humorous way when I'm talking about this hunger inside all of us to, to seek recognition and attention. That goes on painfully for almost five minutes. And when I first saw this video, I, I actually thought it was like an SNL skit or something. It was like a parody. Uh, but it actually turns out that this drummer was being very sincere and that he was playing a real gig with his jazz band. And that poor singer, right? <laughs> and the poor rest of the band as this drummer steals the show. Um, but here was the thing was, when I first saw that video, in a moment of self-reflection, I asked myself, uh, is that what I look like <laughs> in the eyes of God when I'm serving him? Because I wonder how many of us actually look like that in God's eyes when we claim that we're actually serving him. Now, of course, we disguise it much better than he does. Um, but that hunger for attention, that need to have our work recognized, for people to compliment us and say something about us, is something that I think in truth, if we're really honest with, is very real and very alive in every one of us. Look at me. Notice me. Pay attention to me. It's one of the most basic hungers is the recognition and approval of others. And our work that we do becomes one of the primary ways that we try to get that attention. John Ortberg writes, I refer to what might be called approval addiction. Some people live in bondage to what others think of them. The addiction takes many forms. We find ourselves often getting hurt by what others say about us, by people expressing other than glowing opinions about us, we probably have it. If we habitually compare ourselves with other people, if we find ourselves getting competitive in the most ordinary situations, we probably have it. If we live with a nagging sense that we aren't important enough or special enough, or we get envious of another's success, we probably have it. If we keep trying to impress important people, we probably have it. If we are worried that someone might think ill of us, should he or she find out we are an approval addict, we probably are. And I just want to ask you this morning, does that describe your struggle? Do you always look for some kind of credit or acknowledgement for the work that you do? Are you always in subtle ways trying to draw attention to yourself, your hard work, your sacrifice? that you're making for God? If so, then the problem is you're taking people's eyes off of Jesus and calling them to focus on you. And that's antithetical to the very essence of ministry, which is supposed to point to Jesus and show his worthiness, not our sacrifice. The last thing that I would highlight here, problem number three, is that when we behave like this, it stunts our own spiritual growth. There are so many ways that God wants to grow our faith by serving. We discover the joy of what it means to point others to God and look to Him. We learn how to take eyes off of ourselves 
and to focus on God and find his strength when our limitations confront us. We learn the freedom of letting go of the things that we hold so tightly to, like my time, my money, when we learn actually how to be generous with these things and give them away. These are all ways in which God wants to grow us through service. But none of this can happen when our motives for serving are impure, are wrong. Again, Orberg writes, acts of servanthood done to impress others lose their intrinsic power to help us enter the life of the kingdom. If we choose to impress people by making sure they know of our generosity, the nature of our action changes. You see, the the audience that you're playing to affects the very essence of the work you're doing, is what Orberg is saying. We settle for the narcotic of approval. Instead of becoming a little more free, we become a little more enslaved. Acts done to impress cease to have value as training for life in the kingdom. Okay? You see, what he's saying is, is this. When you don't really check your motives for the things that you're doing, then all you're doing is exchanging one set of idolatries for another. It's just that you're putting a mask of religiosity over it and making it look like you're doing it for the Lord when underneath all it is is that you're driven by your baser instincts of wanting recognition, wanting credit, wanting attention, when underneath it then it's just your old life rearing its ugly head in the form of religion, in the form of service for God. Well, Let's now switch to what then does it mean to serve God with a right heart? And I think one of the most important correctives to serving for recognition and credit and reward is don't just work for God, but with him. Don't just work for God, but with him. You see, what I'm saying is is this. When you serve in your strength, by what you feel you can accomplish, by your abilities, then don't be surprised when at the end of that effort, you want credit for it. Because the truth is, you feel you're the one that did it. And, you know, we can say those little Christian mottos like, oh, all glory to God or praise the Lord or something like that. But the truth is, even when you're saying that, as people are complimenting you, in your own heart it rings very hollow, doesn't it? Because the truth is, it really, I don't even know where God factored into any of this. I did it. It was my ability, my strength. By my effort, I got that done. So I don't even really see where God is even needed in that equation. But here's the thing. If you do your work in such a way that you depend on him, seek him continually, looking to him and his strength, his resources, then at the end of that task, you'll have a very different attitude when you reflect on what you've done. Peter gives this picture of the Christian life like this, what it means to serve the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 through 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. 
Amen. You hear what Peter is saying? He's saying you ought to view your talents and abilities as what God supplies as a gift to you so that you can be a blessing to other people. And so he's saying constantly maintain that perspective in whatever work that you're doing for the Lord is that this is just God's grace given to me to now be able to dispense to others in my life. I'm just a conduit for what God wants to do. And then he's saying, continuing in the thought, is saying, even as you do this work, do it by the strength that God supplies. This means that even as I'm doing that work, I am constantly looking to the Lord for his enablement, his power to complete this work. It's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 to 29. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. You see, that's how we avoid this heart that craves recognition when we're serving him, is even as I'm doing that work, I am totally looking to God. It's all about you, God. Without your strength, your enablement, your ability, I cannot do this. I am helpless. I need you. It is when we engage in serving God with that heart, that mentality, that we come out of it thankful and not prideful, giving him all the credit that he deserves. Let me give you a few glimpses of how this sort of plays out in my service for God as a pastor. You know, when I'm about to meet someone for a counseling appointment, I'll pray before that appointment, Lord, help me to help this person. I don't want to just use my wisdom that I learned from my schooling or from seminary or from what I know about psychology. God, give me your spirit-guided wisdom to what I should say in that moment. Sometimes part of my prayer is, Lord, help me because I understand that I'm walking into this conversation with some of my own biases that I have that can pollute the waters of this counseling relationship. I have certain attitudes toward this person that are not healthy. Deal with these things in my heart. And then throughout that counseling appointment, I am in prayer. Sometimes I get stuck. Somebody drops a bomb on me, throws me a curve, and frankly, I don't know how to reply. I mean, I felt like that plenty of times in my pastor's office with a church member sitting across from me. I don't know what to say to this person. I don't know how to help this person. And so it's prayer in the midst of that. Lord, give me your wisdom. When I'm preparing a Sunday message, you know, it is about, Lord, help me to prepare this sermon. Um, it's sometimes I realize I get so caught up in my own head about the message, so intrigued by the ideas that I'm studying. And sometimes in the midst of that, it's a prayer saying, Lord, help me to apply this message first to my heart. Show me my personal need for this message. And often the Spirit will do that. Often I'm struggling with insecurities. There have been plenty of Sundays where I have that note in my hand and I'm thinking, I don't know about this message. I don't think it's strong enough. I don't think it's entertaining enough. I think some people are going to fall asleep when I preach this one. And it starts to unravel me. And then it's about saying, Lord, help me deal with these insecurities. That I would put my confidence 
in the authority of your word and not the cleverness of my speech. You see, this is just a glimpse of, I think, the picture. And now maybe somebody will come to me after the service and thank me for the way that God spoke to them through that message. And now the pride begins to rear its ugly head. But you see, even in that moment, it's about taking it to the Lord in prayer and being reminded of all of the ways that God helped me in this message to put it together. You see, what I'm saying, what I'm suggesting to you is that there is a fundamental difference of doing something for God and doing something with God, depending on him, seeking him in every moment, allowing his strength to be your strength, his wisdom to be your wisdom. And I want to say this, brothers and sisters, is the truth is in the church. I don't think this is normally the way we operate. I think the truth is instead we take Christian service more like marching orders and then we just get frustrated with them and we get frustrated with our coworkers and we get resentful that we're doing more than other people and we're always frazzled because we don't feel like we have the resources to do this work and it goes on and on with our complaining lips and our nagging tongue and all of our self-pity and all of that ultimately doesn't lead to more Christ-likeness. It doesn't lead to spiritual growth. It's just idolatry in another form. And I want to really challenge us with that this morning. Because the truth is, a lot of you are serving in a lot of capacities. But I want to honestly ask you, are you growing from that service? Is your heart being enlarged to see a bigger God by the things that you're doing in his name? Or is your heart shriveling and getting smaller and more self-focused, more angry, more judgmental toward others. Author Gary Thomas writes about the night before his first interview with James Dobson on Focus on the Family, which was scheduled to be aired on national radio the following morning. And what Gary Thomas realized was that after that interview aired on Focus on the Family, his life and his ministry would never be the same again. Because millions of Christians all around the country, all around the world, were going to know about the book that he had written. And so that night, he was reflecting on what was about to change in his life. And this is, I apologize, this is a bit of an extended quote, but I think it captures well this heart that Jesus is talking about in this story. And I want to take a look at it together. Thomas writes, As I went to bed and prayed, anticipating what was to come, I sensed God saying, I have waited 42 years for this day. I cried at the impact of those words. For years, people had badgered me with the question, why haven't you been on Focus on the Family? Your stuff on a sacred marriage is the best I've heard. What was I supposed to say? It's not like I didn't want to be on the program, but I could hardly call Dr. Dobson, introduce myself, ask him to join me for a cup of coffee, and then start talking broadcast dates. But finally, about three years after the book came out, the producers contacted us to set up the interview that would reach millions of people. As I thought about the absurdity of it all, it dawned on me that I may have been their most unlikely guest. What do I know about marriage? I'm not a trained therapist. And at one point, I practically destroyed my own marriage with my selfishness. Nor am I a particularly gifted writer. 
Early on, I went through eight years of rejection from publishers and magazine editors, including one very painful string of 150 straight rejections. That's amazing to me. Uh, Experts in the business told me I either had nothing to say or couldn't say it well enough. If I was a naturally gifted writer, I can't imagine it taking nearly that long to break through. And yet, as I lay in that bed, realizing that the message from one of my books would soon go out to numbers I had only dreamed of, it dawned on me that only God can create a platform like this. Through it all, God knew. He had a plan, and he worked out that plan. He had mapped out my life and marked this day on the calendar And somehow, through all my tantrums, doubts, and accusations, he had brought me me to it. It took him 42 years, but he made it happen. Looking at the event through this prism, that God had waited more than four decades for this day, cut short any sense of pride. On the contrary, it sent me into amazement and appreciation and worship. God You've outdone yourself this time. You really pulled it off. You see this heart that Gary Thomas had? If you think about him laying down that night and realizing that probably tomorrow he was going to be on the Christian bestseller list, think of all the directions his heart could have gone. It could have been one of anger and vindictiveness against all those publishers that didn't recognize his talent, right? And saying, I showed them. It could have been a spirit of ambition saying, I'm going to blow up, man. You know, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be like Billy Graham, you know, or whatever, or John Piper or Tim Keller, you know. He could have been fantasizing about all the money that he would make from selling all those books. But you see, instead, he's laying there on his pillow and he's rewinding the tape and just thinking about God's grace through all the difficult times, and instead he ends that evening weeping in worship, thanking God for what he has done. This is the heart that I think Jesus is inviting us to. Not about my own glory or recognition or my reward, but what true service for God means is that God gets the glory. He gets the credit because in truth, I acknowledge that I am nothing and he is everything. As I said, many of you are serving in all kinds of capacities in our church. You know, maybe you were the one that came early this morning and set up all these chairs. I don't know. Maybe you are not even in this room because you're contending with our children who are being bratty right this minute or something. I don't know. Maybe you're always up early preparing food for the fellowship time. Or maybe it has nothing to do with the church work. Maybe it's about being a mom or a dad, a husband or a wife. I know some of you in this room, in this season of your life, have been invited to care for infirmed relatives. And you don't know when the expiration date on that service is going to be. And it's a little overwhelming to contemplate what is being asked of you. You see, we're being asked to serve God in all kinds of ways. But what I want you to spend a moment reflecting on is with what kind of attitude, with what kind of heart 
Are you engaging in this work? Are you just working for God, grudgingly, resentfully, by your strength, your power, hungry for your recognition? Or are you doing it thankfully, joyfully, depending on God in every moment to provide the strength that you need to be faithful and obedient to his call. That is going to make all the difference in whether you grow from that serving or whether you shrivel from it, whether you become larger, more mature, or smaller and harder in your heart. The great invitation of God is to say, that you can grow, that the invitation is he can empower you and enable you to do immeasurably more than you think you can by your own strength as you depend on him. One last thing, and it's going to be brief, and I'll close with this, is learn to practice the discipline of secret service in your life. Learn to practice the discipline of secret service in your life. In other words, A lot of the stuff that you're going to do is going to be noticeable to everyone, okay? But have some things in your life that you do that you don't tell anybody about so that God alone can get the glory for it. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 4, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I'm going to tell you this. If you actually do this, it's going to drive you crazy. You're going to realize how desperately you need that recognition attached to every good work you do. How about this? Why don't you commit yourself to praying for somebody in need of prayer regularly and passionately, but never tell them that you're praying for them? You know? Why don't you make a sacrificial and generous donation with your scarce resources to a ministry? but do it anonymously? Why don't you volunteer at a senior center one day every week after work, but don't let any of your friends know that you're doing this? You see, I think that's part of the training that we need to undergo, is learning how to do things secretly so that that animal, that that raging monster inside us that craves recognition is slayed by the grace of God. Let's pray. As we close our time this morning, I just want to invite you to reflect on this whole idea of Christian service, what it means to serve God. And like I said, I think for many of you, you are serving in various capacities, trying to be obedient, do the right thing. And this, like I said at the beginning, is such a critical part of the disciples' journey, learning how to serve God. But I want to say that in as much as it is an amazing tool for spiritual growth, 
It can also actually, unfortunately, be the very source of hurting your spiritual journey and turning you into a glory-seeking or judgmental, bitter person. And it all just lies in the heart, the attitude with which you enter that work. And so I want to invite you to spend a little time reflecting in your own heart about the things that you are attempting to do for God. And would you be honest with yourself? Are you really growing through those acts of service? Is God really being glorified through those acts of service? Or in truth, is it really all about you? All about people giving you accolades and attention and recognition? Are you really pointing to Jesus by the things you do? Or are you secretly saying, look at me, look at me, look at what a good person I am? I think the only thing that can set us free from that bondage of the approval of others is the grace of Jesus Christ. When we realize that it is only by grace that I can do anything, then we suddenly have an entirely new perspective on what it means to serve the Lord. It's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ who alone is worthy of the credit. It's not about me because in my own strength, I don't have the ability to even do this successfully. And so every day I look to Christ for the strength to do what I cannot do by my own power. I cannot love these people enough. I, I don't have the strength. I don't have the, I don't have the willpower. I don't even have the desire I don't find that love or that sacrifice in me to even want to do that for that other person. And yet because of Christ in me, I can do that. I can be the servant that God wants me to be. I think that's the awesome and amazing invitation of God is that his spirit can be at work in us to enable us to be what we cannot be by our own strength. And when we learn to serve like that, the spiritual growth that we personally will, ex will experience is going to be amazing. The joy of knowing what it means to be used by God to touch people's lives. The, the power of experiencing when I'm at my wit's end, when I feel like I have nothing left to give, when my tank is empty. As I pray, God fills that tank again. This is all part of the disciples' journey that we're invited to. And I wonder how many of us in this room may not have taken even the first steps into that journey. Maybe for some of you, as you're listening to this message, you don't feel like much of what I'm saying is very relevant to you because maybe the harsh truth is there isn't much service in your life. It's all about you and about what you gain out of church and out of your faith. Maybe what God is challenging you to do is to surrender yourself to his will and what he wants to do through you to meet some of the needs that are right around you, in your family, in your school, in your work, among your neighbors and your friends. But maybe the truth is, up to now, you've been very resistant to even allow God to use you as a servant in those ways. And maybe some of you are trying to put on those servants' clothes. And the truth is, you're burnt out. You're sick of it. You're very frustrated and this message is for you. What Christ is saying is, it's not about taking a vacation or asking someone else to do it because you're tired of doing it. 
It's not necessary. That could be part of the issue. I'm not saying that that can't be part of the issue. But the deeper issue is, where are you looking for the source of that strength to do the work? Are you relying on yourself or are you relying on God? So can I just invite you for a couple of minutes here just to pray to God? And would you seek Him in prayer and ask Him to purify your motives, to purify your heart and say, God, when I serve, when I try to be a blessing to others, I don't want them to see me. I just want them to see Christ because Christ is the only one worthy of being seen in that way. And so would you just pray and just ask God, invite him to use you in that way for a couple minutes as we get ready to close out a couple songs of worship. Let's pray. Mm -hmm.